The following podcast may contain strong language not suitable for all space aliens. Welcome back to the Better Left Podcast. I am here with my co-host Troy. Hi. Bill. Hello. Jay. Hi. And we've got Alex subbing in as our producer for today. I'm getting so good at remembering to introduce producers when they're not you, Jay. I am really <laughs> impressed because it's a thankless job sometimes. Yeah. And I'm happy. I'm happy to be recognized like I all agree. people. And that's why I'm thanking you, Sarah, yes. for all your hard work. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thanks, thinking. Sarah. Thank, Thank you, you, everybody. <laughs> not you, Jay. Um, <laughs> so yeah. that uh, that leads us right into our first what the shit. What the shit? So I don't know if you guys saw this. This kind of made me take pause for a good reason. So bear with me. There was an article released. I guess Seth Rogen did a GQ photo shoot. And oh. that's when my my Twitter started going a little bananas with Seth Rogen thirst. But this made me do uh, this made me take a moment to go, what the shit? But in like a good way, because, you know, I, re- I always think of Seth Rogen like circa super bad where I'm like, oh, budget Seth Rogen's my favorite. And I just I remember Chris Pratt and like I thought he was cute before he did Guardians of the Galaxy. And I mean, mm. this is to me, this symbolizes like the shifting change that's happening in in our mm. beauty standards. It's it's shifting it for men and women. Like it's finally reaching that point where it's tipping over for what is attractive for men because women have had we've had this this huge body positivity movement which has made me confident enough to wear a crop top and jeans which i never thought i'd get there but i wore shorts in public and i'm very proud of myself um and this is it's really helped me grow myself and like i've watched you know the the guys around me who struggle with body image and they there wasn't really a counter move or a concurrent movement happening for men and it finally like watching seth rogan and people be like oh my god seth rogan could is a daddy now i was like wow, we've arrived. It begins. Well, and so I've always grown up as a little bit of a bigger guy. I mean, if you look at me from photos when I was in middle school, it's embarrassing still. Like, I mean, that was a thing that I struggled with growing up. And I'm really happy about this because we. I remember looking at people like Johnny Knoxville and other like, who, who's the lead singer from Jimmy World? I don't even know what he looks like, actually, now I'm saying that. Jimmy. But yeah, <laughs> so, at least, so Jimmy, uh, but there was this really kind of like heroin chic look and it affected guys the same way that it affected women in a lot of ways we just didn't talk about it and so uh you know as a bigger guy it was like you want to be attracted to women you got to be funny you got to be smart that's all you've got buddy because you look like a trash bag with clothes on and so i think this is really just a nice thing for me i'm happy to see it i'm happy to see seth rogan get uh admired not just for his personality and i know that sounds weird because like that should be the heart of why we're attracted to people but like it's good to see him be validated just for being a human being it's we're seeing the the palette of what is considered conventionally attractive expand and that's i think what is really cool about watching this like 10 15 years ago fashion companies fashion companies would not they wouldn't touch a lot of these heavier set dudes they wouldn't they would only touch anybody who was ripped and perfect with a flawless jawline very henry cavillian if you will and it's really interesting to see like this standard expand a lot and see like these we're finally softening the edges on what it is to be attractive what it is to be physically appealing it, i mean the only thing i'm missing is the jawline <laughs> <laughs> that's very fair bill uh, didn't think of it that way wait are you are you dissing on me are you dissing? <laughs> i literally am a finger with a face drawn on it but um but i, I want to say this one thing i you brought this up and I, i've never really thought of seth rogan as anything more than that guy that has that hilarious stoner laugh um and he, movies that he are, and they're funny. I'm looking at the GQ pictures and they're good. 
Oh yeah. I mean, he does. I mean, he's I, a goofy guy, and it I gives love him that. some like, depth. Like actually, this this facet of his, like he's sitting. Look, he. I thought it was a prison jumper, but I, anyway, he looks great. He actually, I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Zaddy. I love it because again, uh, this has been a really big struggle for me. It's like, hey, I can wear things other than cargo shorts and t-shirts with video games on them. Not that I don't enjoy doing that every now and then, but like you can do something more of it as a bigger guy. And like Seth Rogen, just shout out to you for being a comrade in all of this and like helping us larger dudes find some fashion. Yeah. We need it sometimes. And, you know, just being an icon out there. I think it's good. I think it's really good. I'm I'm really happy to see the body positivity movement kind of move forward with this. Me too. And like we talk about personality and people being more than their looks. And that's absolutely true. But what helps people build that confidence to show their personality is feeling like they look good yeah. or yeah. attractive. And it's we can talk about that stuff and we can talk about be like your best self is your inner self. But when you're confident enough to project it because you feel good about what you look like and you don't feel held up to these to these European beauty standards, you have have that confidence to show your personality and you have that confidence to be funny or be smart or be be curious, be loud, be whatever you are on the inside. You have the chance to do that when you're more confident with your external self. So what should what it should there even be beauty con conventions? No, I don't think so at all. I think you're attracted to what you're attracted to. And what's everything is everything is beautiful. Everybody has something attractive about themselves. And I think that those unattainable beauty sort of you know the plateaus of the the highs of the mo the tens and the, you're like you, there's always the you're a seattle seven but you're in like a new york three and all that stuff is awful but i also think that it contributes to a toxicity that makes things like incels and yeah. uh, those folks who are you know involuntary celibates feel like they've got something to fight when in actuality be a good person and engage and be real and you know, you'll get you some. Hold yourself to a standard both internally and externally. Like, that's really what it comes down to. Hold yourself to a standard. And yeah. the incel community standard is just dirt and garbage juice. Well, it really is. That's what all they have left because of misery and, and self-loathing. And, you know, uh, the reality is being a good person and connecting with people on the real, people make space for that. Well, and part of it is, is we have these conventions that <clears throat> many of them probably don't feel that they meet, right? And, and and because of these conventions that are plastered on every shopping mall shelf or, you know, store checkout line, it's like you're constantly bombarded with these things. And this is true for young men and young women. Uh, I can just give you one example from when I was a younger guy. I used to, it was bigger. It was uh, it's probably still as huge for, you know, guys to bodybuild and get big. It's just not in my genetics to get big. It doesn't matter how hard I pump them or how much protein. I, I, now, and I'm sure there's some some meathead out there like, he just not not working hard enough on those gains. Uh, I don't really want to. But there was a time when I did want to get big, right? But it just never was going to happen. This is a moment, I believe, where men can lean into the wisdom of women and say, I've been feeling this way. And what can I think or do or say? And I mean, that's that's something that's changing. And I feel like watching this this physical uh, beauty st standards palette expand also leads us to the what it is to be a man expanding, which is uh, which is something that we haven't really talked about. What is masculinity anymore? What is femininity anymore? And it's so women have had the the joy of having this really strong, powerful movement where we're redefining womanhood and what it means to be feminine, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a woman, both physically and mentally and externally and internally. What does that mean? 
But there hasn't really been a counter movement happening for men. And I feel like this is the kickoff of, of something like that that makes space for men to be sensitive and redefine their feelings and be open when they communicate and, and have stable communications. They don't have to buy into tropes. They can build their own personalities on about what they like. If you're right. a guy that loves to wear utilicilts in public and you feel confident as fuck doing it, you rock your utilicilt in public. Kilt. You yeah. do it. Yeah, and I'll just second that. And what you and Troy both said is, I didn't learn a lot about what it is to be a man until I got a chance to have somebody like Sarah in my life. And she's been my partner Aww. for a really long time. And I think that's an important step is like redefining it as not just being part of your behavior, but redefining it as being like, you know, we got these things we got to stand for and fight for. And I'm just going to return to that one last statement I said, which is good job, Seth Rogen. Thanks for taking it out. Thanks for stepping out on a limb there. You're not typically the person we would have thought of in GQ. You're not George Clooney. So I think that's really, really awesome and great job. Hey, I'll give someone else who's non-conventional and is always out there and I don't really like her that much, but I do admire this about her. Amy Schumer. Yeah, Amy she, Schumer oh, yeah. is, yeah. is yeah. out there changing the landscape for women in a lot of ways. It's good stuff. I'm glad but this is good. That. I love this. And this made me go, what the shit? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. What was our, we had another one that we were jumping in with. Um, well, um, tragedy. <laughs> tragedy has this, struck. Again. No. So, First the um, dodo bird. <laughs> the owners of um, the Noah's Ark replica <gasps> in um, Kentucky, mm -hmm. uh, they, it's been destroyed by a flood. <laughs> <They're>, what? <laughs> mm -hmm. I, what I love too is one of the top. Uh, one of the top articles when you Google it uh, from the Weather Channel. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I don't mean to laugh. Um, uh, I as I understand it, uh, Jesus, Jurassic Jesus, got on one of the Velociraptors and walked across the water because to get to the Ark because he was a he's a sea pirate. That sounds right. Yeah, well, but they, what, it proves that theory, the long debated theory that his powers extend to the person he's such <laughs> that he's touching, which is so amazing. Oh, we're just having fun. Um, uh, what's funny is I don't even know where that came from, but um, yeah, you know what I love, Troy. It's still clear that pop ups exist in 2019. <laughs> what's really hilarious is. though is I had to. To, because he was bugging me earlier, was like, get the information fast. I had to turn off my uh, blocker. <laughs> so then it popped up right in the middle of the show. So it's good stuff. I was just going to ask if Jeff Goldblum also stars in your um, Bible movie. In my mind, he does. <laughs> because we um, have dinosaurs, Noah's Ark. He's got to be somewhere. Yeah, He's yeah. in there, I feel. My favorite part about that whole thing is that they made it exactly to specification. They like used gopher wood. They used everything. They did. Right up to the point of building the ark. And I'm just going to let you on a secret here. Uh, would not have fit the animals. So there's some I, like as That's a, why we don't have unicorns now. That's why we don't have. I mean, are you trying to tell me that this is possibly not a real thing that literally happened? And this possibly is more metaphorical than it is literal. And that maybe we did not, in fact, have a gigantic boat in a worldwide flood that but rescued a bunch of sheep or whatever? what about the animals that were already in the water? Did they have to put them into? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of credence to the idea that maybe God did try to destroy the world, which, according to what I was taught in church, was because of the gays. So, Wait, there were gays then? That's, that's why they got rid of the unicorns? Up. Uh, what about the this narwhals? Sense. That's what they said. I don't know. That's a real thing I was told. I'm going to leave it up to the church. They you can know, sort that out. You know out. what, though? Narwhal sightings started to increase when LGBTQ rights started getting stronger. Just You know what, there. everybody? If you all clap, <laughs> then all of the, the, the narwhals will start to fly. 
They won't die. Where was it? Where was this flood at? Where is this museum? It was Kentucky. Okay. Yeah, where the I believe that's where the Ark landed. They found a a, 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 a historical relic there. It was right after the Angel Moroni led Joseph Smith to the Ark location. Yes. I'm not going to even unpack that one. So that's Mormonism, right? No. Yeah, because yeah, okay. he looks through rocks to read stuff. And let me be very, let me be very clear. We love and respect all religions. I get it. Jay is actually Jay is a Christian. Um, and this is, but we have watched folks take the Bible so literally that they're stripping rights away from people, and they'd rather make sure nobody can have health care and immigrants can't, can't come into our country, and then turn around and say, "What would Jesus do?" It's definitely deport people or pull all the water out of the desert crossing so you can make people dehydrated and die in the desert. So that's awful. But I want to I do have a question, though, if you are um, uh, in, out there in Kentucky and your ark is destroyed, um, you're built to spec ark, which is odd because I'm not sure where they're grabbing all that information. But um, who do you sue when it's an act of God? Like, ooh, Jay, I have a question for you because I don't know any of this stuff. And you I've asked him. Jay is like fully raised deep in the church and the conservative wing of politics. And I don't know what happened. He's now like a, a socialist who wears video game shirts all the time. Um, He's still pretty but conservative he, guy. I realized Jesus was one, too. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> hey, <laughs> thank you. Nice answer. Nice. Yeah. But I'm I'm just I'm curious. Could you explain um, where do they get the specifications? Yeah. This is going to blow your mind, don't but it's, even don't start with me. It's the Bible. It's <laughs> it's in there. Like, it what actually, does it say? Uh, I don't remember the exact words because I didn't see a point. <laughs> but the the thing about it was it did talk about like how he built it. And he, there were specific instructions on how to do it. And he was supposed to go and try to, like, bring people on board. And it ended up just being his family that he later had to have sex with. So uh, Noah told ooh. them to pull themselves up That's, by their bootstraps or I think that's what it is. Pull, <laughs> pull it up by your what was the wood? Gopher wood? Is gopher wood a thing? Was, I don't know. I have no idea. It is. Uh it was probably Noah's bootstraps. It's anyway. Okay. <laughs> pull yeah. pull yourself up lot, by your sandal straps. Yes. There's a lot of stuff that went wrong in that story and and after the story and before the story. And, you know, it's really funny. I will say this. I think the thing that's really important here is that the story of the flood, when you take a look at it from evangelical Christianity, is often said that, oh, it's because of sexual immorality. It's because of these kind of things and a very puritanical interpretation. But if you look at like the Talmudic interpretations, it's about hospitality. It's about they didn't show kindness to the stranger. They didn't show kindness to the people at Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't do any of these kind of things. And so there's a really big streak about caring for people who come to your country and caring about people who come to your home. And that interpretation got lost in favor of, well, the gays. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Interesting. That's Jeez. really, we, we, I, I, I do want to, I want to dig should into at this. some point have a dialogue about this because I do think that that comparative sort of discussion is important because there are some, tenants within the holy books that are good that are you know don't kill don't steal don't murder but i, I want to say that i am uh why want to build a tiny ark to the specifications found they, they really did that that just blows my mind i i do have one more question though jay uh, can you sue god um funny enough in the story of job that god. is part of what happens actually is that job accuses god of not fulfilling his part of the deal because job was a righteous man so satan in that story actually acts as the accuser of job before god so kind of and then he jumped into the whale 
And then that was Jonah jumped into the whale. Oh, Job, too many people jumping into things. Job just cursed God. and Oh, that was it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, after the campaign, this is just a little tidbit about me, a little personal piece of information about myself. After the campaign, I went through a lot with my mental health and I went through a lot with my I have a very dysfunctional family. And they all kind of coalesced right at the end of this very long, intense campaign together. And I really struggled emotionally with a lot. And the thing that kept me going, I'm not a religious person, but the thing that kept me kind of figuring out how to balance all that was just a psalm from the Bible. It's just be still and know that I am God. And literally all it means is sit quietly, stop trying to fix things, experience the world, stop trying to control it, feel what you're going to feel and just know that it'll be okay. That's really what it came down to. And I just kept telling everyone, like, just be still, be still in it. And it comes from whenever I tell people be still, it comes from that psalm of be still and know that I am God. That's life saving wisdom that I think should be applicable to everyone, regardless of who you are, where you were raised, what color you are, uh, LGBTQIA. Um, that that's a that's a shared wisdom that sh- should feel like accessible to all folks. So, yeah. yeah. And I know that we're going to be diving into a, a religion episode, I hope soon. And uh, I, I know Jay is going to come and do some, and we're going to, I just kind of want to interview you about this. I, like, I know we're partners, but you know, <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I know that we just, I want to make sure we have enough time because you guys, it is time mm. for the big news breakdown. And yeah. Wow. I'm just going to roll right on into this. So Iran. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's that's up. That was up on U.S. foreign policy list right after the Venezuela failure, which they're still trying to undermine. But what? now on to Iran. Well, let's be clear, Bill. This was before the Venezuela thing, too. This has been ongoing. Oh. The, the Bush administration wanted to do it and amongst others. So this is a Long time coming. Oh, yes. And so I think that this this issue with Iran. Oh, my gosh. I'm literally squaring myself in my chair because you I'm like, are. this is such a big thing. Um, but it really is. And there's so much historical context that people don't know. A lot of people don't even know why we have conflict with Iran to begin with. They think it's because of terrorism, but it's actually not. These are such deep threads. And I actually, uh, Jay asked us about some historical pieces. He asked if we knew about the, the 1979 revolution. And we all were kind of like, I don't really know as much as I feel like I should about how this connects to what's happening today. So I think it's important that we start with a little bit of history. And so I'd like to pass that over to our Iran history expert, Jay, who can explain what that was about and why that touches into what's happening now. I'll be very clear. I am not an expert, but I will do my very best to be diligent and a good steward of it. Uh, that's a little Christianese for you. You sound very authoritative when you talk about it, though. Confidence is key, Jay. Exactly. Well, before so, you start, I want to interrupt. Um, I, I don't know anything about this, but as an older, mediocre white male, I, I feel as though I might want to dominate and share words mm-hmm. that don't really associate with the subject. Uh, just kidding. I'm going to shut up and listen, and I might have questions, but this is fascinating because I, I know nothing about what's going on here, and I'm looking forward to learning. Right. So I think one of the things that's really important to keep in mind here is Iran is one of the controlling interests of OPEC, right? And they have not always been unfriendly to the American government. So the 1979 revolution is important because it was when the Shah government, which was a monarchy in Iran, was overthrown by a populist movement to elect the Ayatollah Khomeini. All right. So that's is what happens. And Black Friday in particular was an event where in 
the protest between the two in 1978 occurred and over 200 over 200 people die in a clash between them where they start shooting at each other between the two forces so that ends with the revolution occurring and then finally them moving forward what just so everyone is on the same page what was the shah the shah government the shah government was strictly an iranian monarchy that was in power beforehand um so they were very friendly to the united states uh there was lots of reason to believe they were elected through a coup uh that was put together by the united states and so we were meddling there beforehand and now it kind of feels like we're doing it again why were uh, we meddling oil I, I oil cash man opec our oil yeah. buddies oil has been oil has been the thing i mean remember the 80s oil crisis was because a lot of this this i if i had to guess the 1979 coup where we our puppet government was overthrown for the populist government that was actually put in place in iran by the iranian people um that the 1980s oil crisis probably had a lot to do with that <laughs> having been alive in that time i will tell you that it was really i'm gotta stop saying i will tell you but it was very weird it was long lines of people with no gas running out of gas it was a panic it was armageddon it was wild yeah and you can actually see it in the cars and how they were developing the 1980s were heralds of efficient cars i mean like the civic hrx and a number of other ones but it's been the flavor of the deal right it's been the whole flavor of the thing and if you look at venezuela it's the same thing they're another oil producing country where we literally just said that's the new guy I mean, come on, that's incredible to me. And so we're trying to do the same thing again, it kind of feels like to me. So Donald Trump gets on Twitter of all places and says, any kind of actions taken by Iran or the people associated with it effectively will be seen as a direct act of violence against the United States. This is a really big deal. It's a really big deal because like a day or two after he tweets that an oil tanker is sabotaged in the Gulf of Oman. And here's the thing about that. Donald Trump making that declaration via Twitter is, first of all, a really dangerous precedent. But, you know, second of all, after the oil tanker was sabotaged, nobody took credit for it, which is huge. No country, no terrorist groups, nobody. And it wouldn't be the first time that the United States government actually was engaging in actions to try to perpetrate war. I mean, I grew up as a conservative. I, I know I say that all the time, but like one of the things that's really prevalent in that community are conspiracy theories. So I got exposed to a lot of them growing up. Now, I don't think they're all true. Let me be very clear. But the Bay of Pigs was, in fact, a thing that happened. And there have been other events where the United States has engaged in false flag operations. And I, I feel like this one, I'm just going to say it I'm at risk of sounding Alex Jonesian, but I think this one might have been like this is super suspicious. Like there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. And like, what's the what's the guy's name? The weird dude with the mustache. John Bolton. There you go. Ugh. John Bolton has outright made motions to make war with these countries. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, conspiracies operate in a range and kind of the reason that you that you're always going to be accused of being conspiratorial or anything when you delve into these things is, you know, because you have to be because power operates by conspiracy. You know, and you can see this kind of spelled out for us in an exchange between Ilhan Omar and another war architect currently trying to do these things to Venezuela and Iran, Elliot Abrams. Uh, you know, she just kind of highlights that back in the 80s, he was involved in a lot of nefarious activities and he lied to Congress and was punished or I think he was punished for it. And uh, she just brought that up. And he's like, how can we believe you now? And ever since that exchange, he has worked his ass off to get America into war. And let me just further put a bigger context on this. What we need to be doing 
is decarbonizing. What this war strategy is based on is a carbon intensive economy that should not exist in 20 years. And so this kind of circles back to what what happened recently, too. So Congress said no to an arms deal with Saudi Arabia. And what Donald Trump did is he declared the growing tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran as a state of emergency for the United States. And he used executive authority to circumvent Congress and fulfill the $8 billion arms deal with Saudi Arabia, knowing full well that we were fighting as a government and as a people to push against U.S. involvement in Saudi war because they were committing genocide against the Yemeni people. So a a question. So I. Trump running on. Tearing up the nuclear deal with Iran. Was this are these uh, is this a game that was in play well before? Or is he is he working with a particular faction of people that believe we need to prop up the Saudis and we're in defend them at all costs. I mean, like, is that all tied in? And why did he do that? It all comes back. It really does all come back to oil interests. It really it comes. This is the stranglehold that oil has right now on everything. And this is why this is such a big, heavy topic that's going to require multiple attempts at discussion. Um, But it all keeps coming back to oil at the end of the day. And Donald Trump is showing he's he's showing preference to authoritarian dictators. And he is using his position as our president to as a vehicle to give them that those benefits that Congress is trying to deny them. And he is he himself wants to be an authoritarian dictator. And I know that, you know, that's all speculation, I guess, if you really want to get into it. But Donald Trump acts and and performs acts that could be considered authoritarian. He had, he's outright said he admires people like Netanyahu. He admires people like, um, I can't remember his name, the Saudi prince. Uh, Kim Jong-il. Uh, yeah, Kim Jong-il uh, is Mohammed bin Salman. Duterte. Yeah, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. Duterte. Duterte in the Philippines. Xi Jinping in China, who he did like but didn't like. Abe has been in charge of Japan for 10 years. At what point can we call him over 10 years? At what point can we say he's authoritarian? EU is basically in a, a, a kind of a conglomerate of oligarchs, Russia with Putin. Like there is this 1914s moment, 14 moment that we live in where we have we have too many highly uh, powerful, like centered power at various places in the world, almost like many kingdoms again. And that needs many. to change. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or more <laughs> almost like super like super, yeah. of the globe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think the thing is becoming clear, right? I remember growing up and seeing Team America World Police and laughing a lot at it because of the puppets, right? I mean, and the stuff that was said in there seemed so egregious at the time of coming from the community I was in that I was like, it's not really that bad. But another little tidbit from this is the Iraqi government, whom we've propped up, who we installed, has outright said we will not give them a place. Uh, they will not give us a place to house bases for war with Iran. This is what's going on. Like, if you look at Syria, if you look at Iran, we're destabilizing that region. If you want to talk about, like, what's going on there, this is a real issue. And Donald Trump, John Bolton, and these other people, they're war criminals well, as far as I'm concerned. So, so you know, one byproduct of the Iraq war, with well, a lot of byproducts, but well, a couple byproducts of the Iraq war, just real quickly, uh, is that I think you've seen Iran uh, creep in into the north uh, as any country, self-interested country who had a disintegrating country to their north would do. They've tried to influence the politics of that. In the north, North of Iraq, so that so the, the Iranians try to creep up, I think, in into to eastern Iraq. In the north of Iraq with Kurdistan, like the Kurds are I think trying to 
have their own country and Turkey is trying to cur- crush them. And the Kurds have been an, an, a huge ally to the U.S. throughout a lot of our, you know, ill-advised war endeavors, but especially with ISIS, one that at, we kind of caused. So we had to stay there to, to, to fix. Uh, but we owe it to the Kurds uh, to to make it clear to the Turks and Erdogan uh, that Kurdistan has a place in the world. Right. So one of my questions about uh, pulling out of the, the Iran nuclear deal, mm-hmm. uh, my understanding as I very as I skimmed the news was that Iran was complying, that there was compliance with the expectations drawn up through Obama. Am I right? Like this was their yep. agreement and that they were their enriched uranium was being uh, removed. And and uh, what what was the justification to not honor the deal to tear it up? Uh, here's my own theory on it. And I think this is really important. So if you remember the 2016 elections, it was Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. And so there's this strong movement in the conservative community about how this was a bad deal for the American government. This is a bad deal for us, all these other kind of things. And primarily, this was championed by Steve Bannon. We all guessed it, right? Breitbart News, Steve Bannon, all these kind of alt-right leaders and speakers. and Mary Bannon-Cucks. Yeah, his quote-unquote thinkers. uh, They all push this agenda. And so with Donald Trump, yeah, of course he's going to say this. Of course he's going to say yeah, no, this was a bad deal for us. We're going to back out of it. When the reality is the pretenses are really damned clear. We want war with Iran. We want to destabilize that region again. And and just I just want to build on that just for a second, because even as Obama was negotiating this deal, he every in, in every other respect, almost every other respect, he continued George W. Bush's foreign policy just with less troops. So he never took an anti-war or not even anti-war. He never really took a stand to redefine American foreign policy. What's fundamentally different from what Barack Obama did versus uh, what George W. Bush did versus what Donald Trump did? The biggest transition has happened is you remove some troops, you boosted up drones. Right. And you really just stopped reporting on any of it. I mean, I, I've, I've known people, I've talked to people who are just, they don't know that America is routinely droning people across the world. They don't. No. So I will say one thing, and this is returning to a conversation I have earlier, because I think a lot of the Iranians kind of war stuff is occluded from us as the general public. I mean, I think we're all pretty spot on. Some people try, they, they want to brand Trump as not as maybe an anti-imperialist, not, or not anti-imperialist, because clearly he's, he's authorized and kind of took a little pleasure in, you know, authorizing missile strikes on Syria. Right. So he's got a little love for war. I don't know if he's got a love for a vicious, bloody war against Iran that will end worse than Iraq. It may be worse than Vietnam. And let me tell you, if we shift American politics, domestic politics, the way we want to shift it to attack climate, we will end any conflict that these rat bastards start. Exactly. And this is why the Iran thing is so big. And we wanted to like we really wanted to scale it down and and put it in in terms so people really understand that what's going on is not just about the tension. It's about the history. It's about oil. It's about uh, circumventing of congressional power. It's this is a a huge deal and it's not given nearly enough attention. And I also think it's it's hard for people to really wrap their heads around. I learned a ton just saying. Me too. I mean, what I learned is there's 
there's more to learn. I mean, I, I'm just thinking, I'm looking back on our, our arc of podcasts and how I've shifted some fairly major opinions after really digging into the facts. And now I'm going to have to spend, I guess, the rest of my life unpacking this stuff. But this is really good yeah. stuff. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, and after that, that's going to lead us into uh, the big question is, what can we do on a local level to have this kind of leadership for these kinds of things? Anti-war, um, pro, pro-choice pro rallies. What can we do? How can we as local citizens become activists? And that is why we were able to sit down with a local artist and activist who is just amazing and knows all about this stuff and all about galvanizing folks and using privilege and all this stuff to help to help communities that are struggling. And she is incredible. And so now we're going to get right into our discussion. Me and Bill sat down with the incredible Tay Phoenix, because we think talking about activism and uh, local organizing is better left to Tay. So today we're it's me and Bill sitting down with uh, Tay Phoenix, who's a local activist. Hello, hi, <laughs> and she's been our guest this whole time. So now we are going to give you guys some more information about her, what she does, um, and just tell you a little bit about why civil disobedience matters and what's the difference between civil disobedience and the protesting you see on television. Um, tell us a little bit about you. I'm a singer songwriter and uh, an activist. And the way that I work is I use music as a community organizing tool. And I work with everybody from centrist Democrats to Antifa and even, you know, some moderate Republicans. And the whole point is to try to build the biggest possible umbrella to protect people from the shitstorm that is continually raining down upon us thanks to this country's slide into fascism. And I am just not going to make any bones about that. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that's that's basically me. Awesome. Yeah. And I first encountered Tay actually at the very first Women's March. I think you were you performed the first one in Seattle, right? No, I didn't. Oh, climate change. Cli- that's where I saw you. Climate uh, March. Yeah. yeah. There have uh, been you, so many. It might have been. No, I think it might have been March for Truth. OK. Yeah, that yeah. might have been. It, yeah. it might have been the March for Truth. But I remember it was at a, at a protest. Mm-hmm. I heard you perform and I was like. That is awesome. <laughs> I was very excited about it. But I mean, uh, so the thing that I really want to lead with is what got you started into doing this? So um, what really got me sort of using art as an activist tool was when um, when Donald Trump came to power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I had this, I think, very... Um, I was laboring under an unfortunate and naive misapprehension, which was that Uh, While there were a lot, there was a lot of systemic problems around racism and patriarchy and capitalism that most people wanted to see those things get better. Mm -hmm. And I think most people actually do. But a lot of the I I underestimated vastly the number of people who were deeply invested in having those things stay the same and or get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and after after Trump, I my eyes were a little bit more opened to the depth of the problem that we're facing. Um, And at the same time, I I think I just like that awareness sort of kicked my songwriting into a place where like the only thing like I used, you know. I've written about bad breakups, right? I've written about, you know, all the things that songwriters write about. Um, But as soon as all this happened, like the only thing I could write about was these systemic issues because it was like the thing that was so deeply on my heart. Um, And as I started doing that and then I started performing those songs for people and people invited me to perform at their protests and it just sort of became this thing. 
So and now you're a fixture in the Seattle uh, Seattle activist community. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a fixture. Oh dear. Yes, in a good way. Everyone's uh, no, it's, like, no, it's, it's good. Where's the protester with the the, the one of the guitar? One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is all incredibly important stuff. And I know that it sounds it sounds interesting to talk about art as protest. We kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, I mentioned personally as a little piece of personal information that these folks already know because I couldn't stop talking. Um, my favorite painter is Francisco Goya Mm -hmm. and he was a painter during the Spanish Civil War and he used to use these hurried intense brush strokes and he'd just paint these incredible paintings and my favorite painting of all time is uh, Saturn eating his children and it's meant to be a metaphor for the state of Spain eating itself and eating its own young um, trying to protect trying to keep the old ways Mm -hmm. and I think that you know it's art as protest has been something that's gone on for thousands of years and it's I hear people like Marco Rubio be like, we need more welders and less philosophers. And that's just flat out wrong. What we need are more welders who know philosophers and more philosophers who know how to weld. You need both. Mm-hmm. They are both critically important components. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, what do you have a particularly memorable moment for any anything involving any of your, the protesting or civil ac- or action you've done? Yeah. Um, so the weekend that the Unite the Right rally was taking place in Charlottesville, there was... Um, a right-wing extremist group having their own little rally in Westlake Park. And there was a giant counter-protest. And, and after after the Unite the Right rally really blew up, uh, there, the counter-protest just, you know, became this big thing. And we, we convened in Denny Park and we were marching toward Westlake, which was where the right-wing extremists were gathered. And SPD got between us. Um, they were, you know... Uh, they were intent on making sure we did not reach Westlake. And it sort of ended up in a standoff at the corner of second and I believe pine. Um, and, uh, the police sort of blockaded, uh, you know, we were walking down second and we were going to, you know, take a left on pine and get into Westlake and the police blockaded off that intersection and started firing off grenades, flashbang grenades. Um, they pepper sprayed some people toward the front. And then, you know, somebody got on the bullhorn and said, you know, everybody who is still in this intersection in five minutes will be under arrest. And it was like this big mind. We all just sat down and some of the labor organizers had a portable sound system And, um, someone ended up handing me the mic and we started singing, we shall not be moved. And, you know, it was just this beautiful ongoing holding of space. And it was like, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever been a part of. And, you know, after a long period of time of us not being arrested, we learned that they were clearing out the 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 white nationalist right wing extremist group um, from Westlake Park because there were simply too many counter protesters and the police couldn't guarantee these people's safety <laughs> <laughs> and we weren't obeying. <laughs> Good. So, um, so that was probably one of the like it works like protest and civil disobedience, especially in those moments, it really works. And and for me, the part of the reason why that's so memorable, apart from it being such an incredible experience was it, it feels like that's kind of a microcosm of what we need to be doing at a national level. We need to put ourselves at risk. We need to be, you know, in this very united values driven headspace. 
and simply refuse to back down until they have to clear out the white supremacists because they can't guarantee their safety because yep. there's too many of us and we aren't obeying. <laughs> well, and I'd also just attempt to uh, further define what some of these driving forces that led to Trump were. And a lot of these driving forces that, that created and gave us Trump are also some of the forces that um, I, I think push the all fringes or all kind of radical elements of our society up to the kind of forefront, like the extremists on the right or left. Or And I'm not drawing a, an equivocation mm-hmm. between the two, but there's an isolation um, that exists in the two. And I think the isolation is, it, it, I mean, there's no doubt we live in this tremendously isolated society and it's isolated in the sense that a lot of people didn't want to believe that because you talked about this kind of descent into of a of a man into american fascism and it's not just trump and you, you want to be care I, I, I always just try to outline what it is we mean or what i mean when i when i think about american fascism and part of that is we have this tightly knit military corporate industrial complex. So w- there might be a need for mass civil disobedience to f- effectively reform that. Mm-hmm. We know that anything short of taking over fossil fuel companies will not be enough to deal with climate. So we might reach a day where nonviolent civil disobedient protest is there. We also know that we're in an era of transitioning ideas. Like the ideas that have governed our economy and prevented mass civil unrest for the last 30 or 40 years, as oppressive as they were, they worked, but they are no longer working. So we've got to forge these kind of new ideas over this multi-year period. And as, as you know, some of that process could involve mass uh, action like that. Mm-hmm. What do you you have any thoughts on, on I, these lines? I mean, I think yes. I I would add that I think one of the ways when you're talking about the the fossil fuel companies, I think we need a seven point six billion dollar or seven sorry seven point six billion person class action lawsuit against them because they knew. Oh yeah, they knew. It's the same <laughs> way that like uh, you sue a company because they knew that their car was gonna you know if it rolled the you know the roof was going to collapse and kill people. Right. Like you can, you can, we can prove that Exxon knew for decades about climate change. So I think that the entire world has the grounds to sue them into oblivion. And I think that might be part of how we, how we do it. Right. Like I think there are lots of different ways to take over a situation. And some of those come through the courts as well as, as through nonviolent civil disobedience. But yes, I think, um, I think we're going to need to get to a place where more people feel comfortable protesting. And that's part of what I'm trying to do, right? I'm, um, I'm this, uh, you know, nice white passing Latina Jewish girl <laughs> who, you know, grew up on the North End and went to Temple Beth Am and, you know, Holy Names. I went to Holy Names. I was the only, not the only, one of two Jewish girls in my class. Um, but the the point is that I have some of that, like, bougie cred. <laughs> bougie street cred. Yeah, I got the nice. bougie street cred. And so like there's it I I feel like I have this opportunity to use some of that privilege to act as a bridge a little bit. And like there are plenty of people who, you know, are quite bougie and quite liberal and and really very well-intentioned, decent people um that don't have 
either all of like they, they haven't been exposed to the perspective because, again, everything in our culture is aligned to keep the people who are complacent, complacent. Um, so to break through, you got to break through that. You got to reach people. You got to help help them see what they're not seeing. Right. Help them find that undiscovered country that they haven't yet seen yet, uh, haven't yet seen. And and uh and then kind of lead them into, okay, let's get a little more radical. Let's get a little more, okay, let's do it. You guys can move do it. Let's, let's just, <laughs> well, and not just move them left, but move them into being willing to take bigger risks. I mean, and here's the thing about, you know, we were going to talk about civil disobedience and like, you know, I have an education, I have money, you know, it is entirely possible at some point that an employer will pass me over for a job because I have four misdemeanor arrests on my, you know, record for civil disobedience. But the employers I want to work for, probably not. And because I have that education and that privilege, I have that choice. So for the people who do have that choice, um, it is, you know, you, you, it is way less dangerous for you. So use that. Like you can get arrested and walk out and be fine. And there are a lot of people who just can't. Yeah. So like, you know, and so we just have to, we just have to keep getting people a little bit more comfortable with, with the bigger risks. And so people have like kind of a, a better understanding when we talk about protests and civil disobedience, we get these two really starkly contrasted images, right? Mm -hmm. So you get the Fox News folks showing burning trash cans and people breaking windows. And then you see the other other grassroots media networks are showing people, you know, it was a thing that you were involved in linking mm -hmm. arms at a city council me meeting and singing so mm -hmm. they couldn't displace the immigrant business workers. Mm -hmm. And what is the key difference between that kind of um, the, the protesting that we see on the news versus actual civil disobedience what how do you define those two oh, if you define them separately yeah i mean i i think it's all on a continuum right the 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 you know uh i god i'm i think it was dr king who said that a riot is the language of the unheard or something mm -hmm. to that effect i think i'm misquoting him but you know when people um, I, I try to assume that people have darn good reason to do anything that they're doing. So if somebody is angry enough to smash the window of a Starbucks, chances are something is going really, really wrong. Like if there are people that are that angry, that said, I don't think that's the best use of our time or energy if we can avoid it. Um, <laughs> you know, like, and I also think that it, it, it can turn some people off. Right. And, and there's a legitimate impact to people's life and livelihood. Like maybe not so much. Well, I guess with some of the Starbucks employees, right. If they show up and they can't work, it's not like their Starbucks going to pay them for that time. Right. So like there are real impacts on real people when you destroy something and it's just, you know, important to be mindful of that. Um, so like nonviolent civil disobedience, organized nonviolent civil disobedience is its own animal. It's it is. It can be an extension of a protest. It can be its own kind of action. Um, you know, when we were in D.C. Um, protesting the Kavanaugh appointment, um, especially after Dr. Blasey Ford came forward, um, there was, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of really big protests and then there was a subset of people who were risking arrest. Same thing with the Poor People's Campaign. Um, with the uh action you mentioned um, at uh, that was with regards to the SeaTac City Council uh, wanting to displace and they since have displaced the immigrant um, owned businesses at the Bocaro Mall um, that uh, that particular action you know it was a group of people who were specifically there to get arrested and then there were a lot of folks who were there to be you know present at the hearing um, so there are lots of, of different ways it can it can kind of take shape um, but 
the characteristics of that are very different from people running around smashing things, right? It's, it is, you know, you pre-plan together as a group. Here's our protocol. Here's why we're doing this. You, you know, you all often will raise a hand and swear nonviolence together. Um, you talk about how the protests will be coordinated. A lot of times, part of the reason why I've gotten involved with this so much is because using music as a way to lead civil disobedience is very useful. You can coordinate based on it. Um, and so you, you know, it is, it is very much a, this is what we plan on doing. These are the people who've signed up. We've all filled out forms. We know each other's names. Like we are looking out for each other and it's, and it's a planned thing and it is not about property damage and it's not about causing any harm to anybody. And it's certainly not about getting into fights with the police. Um, yeah. <laughs> so actually I had uh, two points. One, I was going to ask if, uh, if you've noticed uh, an emergence or if there's kind of a, a, a kind of a subculture of just, uh, e- emerging, uh, uh, protest music in different genres Oh yeah, and just, uh, kind of not to play devil's advocate, but kind of, um, <laughs> Oh, Bill. Oh, always. So, so I'm not for property damage either, but there is, I think there's a rationale to, 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 to damaging, you know, uh, a bank of America or, or just big mm-hmm. company, big corporate, um, offices or satellite branches, because I think often members of these communities, uh, especially poor communities view them as, essentially extractive yeah and, and that's that but the, and that, that's true for almost any brand name corporate entity that mm-hmm. finds itself in a in a neighborhood that it didn't kind of orga- organically emerge out of so that's not i don't know it's just a general point yeah no i think i think you're you're right i think it's one of those things where like i'm not i'm not going to sit in judgment of anybody who does that yeah. that's not going to be my approach because that's just not how i'm geared um and i think I think it takes a wide variety of approaches to make our point, and and I think people have a right to express their anger. Right, and, and neither of us here are advocating to, <laughs> right. to do this. We I, have to put a disclaimer yeah, out yeah. there. Not advocating, <laughs> si- simply saying that there does exist, uh, uh, yeah. you know, uh, some type of ethical rationale. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean I, yeah. the the thing that I've I've said over and over again is you have to have the Malcolm X to your Martin Luther King. Absolutely, you have to, and you know that threat of we've talked about mm-hmm. it before. Just the threat of of violence is usually enough to get somebody to do something and it's right. it's not that you actually have to engage in it or do it just having the the willingness to do it kind of like uh use, using privilege is a big thing that you've talked about mm-hmm. and being willing to get arrested to protect marginalized communities and being willing to take that hit like you and i and bill we can all take a misdemeanor mm-hmm. we can do that yeah and we can still walk away just fine um maybe you can't because you uh went to law school but you know (laughs) you're rather not um but you know that we can we can take those hits for people and like that kind of stuff is extremely important and it's that in and of itself is we are in in its own way that is our threat of violence is we are willing to become arrested for these people right and use that privilege and usually uh, that willingness by privileged communities to be in that space Mm -hmm. is enough to to put back pressure on the police that's Mm -hmm. why they started clearing them out Mm -hmm. um fun fact that rally the counter protest is my first time ever getting um, flashbanged. Oh, <laughs> I was there, yeah. Hey. And, and if, if at any point in, in any of these uh, nonviolent protests ever do become big enough to inflict the actual type of violence that businesses hate, in, you know, in this country, which is the 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 end goal would be to affect their profits, mm-hmm. to, oh, yeah. to affect their balance sheets, because mm-hmm. yes. that's one of the surest ways to lead to 
actual yeah. reform. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, you we've also talked about art and and protests. We had the the ability to discuss a little bit of this before starting the podcast in general. Um, but so for you, we've talked a lot about the abortion bills going around and everything like that. And I know you used your art as a form of protest with this too. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit more about that and the Sh- stuff that's been going on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll start by saying, like, I'm 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 not a visual artist. I mean, I I I make I make protest signs. I stencil, you know, I collage, but I'm a remixer. I'm not somebody who can like sit down and portrait draw somebody. Sure. Um, so I, but I use this iOS app called Over and they have all of this pre-licensed clip art. So I pay a monthly fee and I have access to this art and I can use it in any way I see fit. So I pulled some clip art together and did a layout and pull, you know, put in um, the words, uh, forced birth extremism kills women. Do you want to elaborate on, on what that what means? Forced birth extremism is? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, uh, a weekish ago, um, I was, you know, sort of tweeting as I do and, um, and got it in my head that like, no, we, we need to stop calling these people fucking pro. They're not pro-life. They're not even anti-choice. They're for, forced birth extremists. Yep. And I tweeted about it and then it got retweeted a bunch and then it got screenshotted and shared a bunch. And like it started to become, you know, part of the the lexicon. And like I'd heard the, the words forced birth before. The You know, again, I'm a collager. I put the word extremists on the end and I'm like, oh, this is a thing. Um, so, uh, you know, so I collaged this together and I was like, I'm going to make some T-shirts. I have a printful shop on my website. It's it's fairly, it's not quite trivial, but it's fairly easy for me to just put some art together, put it, you know, put it on a t-shirt mock-up, stick it on my, on my site and start selling it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sell these and donate all the proceeds to the Yellowhammer Fund, which is an abortion access fund in Alabama. And then Alyssa Milano and Judd Apatow retweeted it and Dan Savage retweeted it. And all of a sudden it was this thing. And like, we've raised almost a thousand dollars. In fact, I think while we've been here, cause my phone's been going a little nuts, we've gotten over that thousand dollar mark. Um, so we're going to be funding some abortion access for women in Alabama, the most marginalized women in Alabama. And they only have three fucking abortion clinics yeah, in the whole three. state. Three total. So and if you're, <laughs> you know, on all the waiting periods and all the bullshit. And so like, if you're somebody who's too poor, you don't even have a fucking car, right? And you're too poor to get yourself to one of those clinics. Like that's what the Yellowhammer Fund does. They make sure that you ha- you have transportation, you have a place to stay, you have, you know, logistical and emotional support, like you, that you can get the abortion that you need. Um, and so I, it's, it's, it's exciting to just, again, be able to like, you know, art is, I'm, I'm sort of like the whole world is an art project. And if you can just make things that help people see and then help people contribute, um, you can move the needle. So that's what I do. That is awesome. That is so cool. Absolutely. Yes. And so, um, where can people find you? Um, they can find me on, on, on the, on the series of tubes on the series. I'm all over the series of tubes. Uh, I thought that was, um, I think it was Ted Stevens. He was like this, the Senator from Alaska back during like the Bush years, they were talking about net neutrality and he's like the internet, it's not a dump truck. It's a series of tubes. (laughs) And like, 
a ride. He, I mean, he was. <laughs> it is kind of a series of tubes. It's a series of tubes. <laughs> but like, and it was just very, it was like this very like, I mean, let's be clear. He was pretty terrible in all ways, but sort of this moment, it felt like this kind of dear old man like, yeah. trying to talk about this thing. It is funny. But it is. So, so the, you know, I'm on the series of tubes. Um, you can go to tayphoenix.com, T-A-E. That's sort of like the homepage for everything, um, you know, to see what I'm up to. Um, I'm on Twitter quite frequently. I try not to use Facebook um, or Instagram. I mean, I sometimes do because I have to, but like, it's really not where I prefer to be found on social media. You can listen to the one song that I currently have out on Spotify. There's going to be more stuff. Um, getting ready to record another song, uh, one that I wrote um, during the Kavanaugh uh, hearings. Um, and you can also find me on Patreon if you want to support what I'm doing. Um, I will be completely honest and say that that's not, I don't need a lot of money support to live, but it's nice to have people who are helping me produce the art that I produce because I go pretty deep into my own pocket doing that. And it's, it's nice to have a little bit of outside support as well. Awesome. So that's, Thank that's you. where you can find me. Wonderful. And we are firmly in support. We believe very deeply in supporting artists. And actually, uh, Jorge Saldana did the art for our whole podcast studio. And so I keep sending people to talk to him too. But mm-hmm. support your artist friends. Do not ask your friends for free art. Pay them. Pay them human money. They're already struggling. Well, thank you very much for your time and yeah. joining us today and being our guest podcast host. This has been a, a real pleasure. Thank awesome. you for having me. This is fun. Thank you for coming. Yeah. I appreciate it. That was that was the amazing and incredible Tay Phoenix She's talking something. about a, about activism and how important it is and representation and what how you can use your privilege and just I mean Bill and I had a great time with that interview. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, but this has been like a big episode talking gonna, about lots of. Lots are we gonna of have shit. her back? Is she gonna? Oh yes, Tay is absolutely coming back. She really wants to. She had a great time, and so we're gonna have her come back and help us do another episode. Uh, But filling in for corn for our palate cleanser because that this was heavy. I need a different taste in my mouth, (laughs) other than politics. Um, Joining us for our palate cleanser is a pod pal, a pod person. Alex, yeah. who is a friend of Troy's. Well, a friend of all of ours. But, you friend know, Alex home. and I have worked together um, uh, at Motiga on Gigantic. Uh, we have traveled the globe together. Um, it's true. Yeah. And also, uh, what, when Alex gets a little um, bit of the booze in him, one of the best huggers on the face of the earth. <laughs> I'm going to have to believe you. So, yeah. Alex, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> for this palate cleanser, we are mixing it up a little bit. We're going to do, uh, do a Mad Lib. And I got to pick the story because I got like 19 text massages from people telling me, pick the pick the Mad Lib, pick it. Did you pick a Mad Lib? Did you pick one? And so I apparently become queen of the Mad Libs. And I'm picking Magic Anyone is the title of ours. Okay. Because of course I am. Yeah. <laughs> so the rules for this are we're going to go around. I'm going to go clockwise. That's clockwise, right? I'm gesturing. Sure. No one can it's see clockwise. it. Yeah. One, two, right three, to left. Four. Yeah, that's clockwise. I sometimes forget how clocks work when I'm talking about going clockwise. Like when you do the forgetting how an L works, when you hold up your fingers, my brain is like, what way does an L go? And I'm like, well, that's worthless. (laughs) You're like, wait, no, this makes a square. Help. Which one is the gay L? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we will start with Troy. Okay. Troy, give me a plural noun. I, the first five are just not good, but I'm going to go with, you got to kind of go with your first yeah. thing. So farts. Farts are F-A-R-T-S. Yeah. Next. Alex, give me an adjective. Sweaty. Oh. Sweaty and farts in one go. <laughs> Bill, oh. I need another adjective. 
Slimy. Slimy. I did not spell that right at all. Uh, still don't know if I spelled it right, but we're going with it. You're like Slender Ooh, Jim. I need, I'm going to give myself a noun. Um, I'm going with Mogwai. <laughs> it's technically oh. a noun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Mogwai is gremlins. Oh, the creatures yeah. are, when they're okay. fuzzy and cute. They're called. Why Mogwai? haven't we pulled that old need, chestnut out of the Hollywood? I was about Hollywood to say, do fire? I need to rewatch Gremlins? <laughs> no. Yes, no, apparently you do. You should. Uh, yeah, the Mogwai. Don't feed them after midnight. They won't turn into a gremlin. Goonies, though, I would watch Goonies I love again. Goonies. If they remake it, I would. <laughs> the this. Goonies, do not. They better. Don't the never remake it. it. We're done with the remakes. We've gone over. If it happens, we will burn the earth. It will be a disaster. Get more creative. There's tons of stuff going on yes make something i don't no more iron man i want to i want to no more iron man i want a childhood comic book about uh bill yeah perfect that's what i need about bill um, i also need a noun a noun i think i will say can it be a hyphenated noun no um i've never been asked that question before yeah no and unfortunately yes. it's like yeah it doesn't really count okay because right? it would be i would be sneaking an adjective in there um uh, yeah. i will say Peace. Peace? Like P-E-A-C-E? Peace. Yeah. Like, the, peace. You know, I got to like, peace out. Not like peas. Okay. Yeah. Peas. I need another noun, Alex. I, th- I think peas. Okay. Peas. <laughs> I love it. I love this. Peas, I need peas. Give peas a chance. I need a third noun, Bill. It's a person, place, or thing. <laughs> in case that helps. Cup. Cup. Nice. Well, I, I think we're just. Cup. Are you just naming things in the room, Bill? <laughs> are you just? Yeah, I ate a big red candle. <laughs> or did he poop one? I can't that remember. I love lamp. Yeah, I love that's, lamp. That's what I was. I almost did <laughs> say lamp. Oh, no, lamp. Yeah. Uh, adjective. I'm gonna go with lumpy. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. I don't know. I hate that this is coming to you. Oh. I need a part of the body. Oh. <laughs> Phalanges. <laughs> Oh wow! I, I, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go blue on this. I'm okay. gonna say, <laughs> um, bicuspid. Bicuspid. I actually know how to spell that, and I don't know whether it'd be impressive mental or not. Uh, You're one step closer to being a dental hygienist. I'm basically a doctor right now. You um, are, and we'll or do an orthodontist. Yeah. It's kind of exactly how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. But you know, I feel good about myself anyway. I'm taking my pride. Uh, I need a plural noun, Alex. Horses. Horses. Hey. My nephew, um, when he was very little, used to pronounce it heces and. Now, every time I see him, I'm like, look, he sees. That's what you do when you have nephews. Well, I had a friend who pronounced Reese's Pieces, Reese's Pieces. That person is wrong in their dead now. Reese's Cups. I, I'm so mad about it. And I would always say, it's not, it's Reese's Pieces. It's not Reese's Feces. Like, Pieces. Yeah. No. Yeah. One day. You um, know who you are, J-Dub. My, my poor little nephew was like, I think four and Jay had a horse head mask and we were at my parents' house and he was over getting very excited about he sees. And then Jay puts the horse head mask on and goes to go say hi to Rowan and Rowan just, Jay stands at the end of the hallway in a horse head mask, just silently staring at my nephew. Cause I don't think we know how to interact with kids. Well, and <laughs> you then, seem to be doing it right. Oh, yeah. child. <laughs> my, my nephew just starts crying. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm so sorry. Where do you hell from? <laughs> <young man? laughs> Take me to your little short mammal. <laughs> 
one time he wore the horse head, one Halloween he wore the horse head in front of the uh, door to go give trick-or-treaters candy. And a kid, some genius 12-year-old just goes, look, a reverse centaur. And I'm like, you're a fucking genius. You're one of us, kid. Get in here. Don't oh, I know you need I'm to move on, but I have to tell you the funniest thing. I It wasn't Halloween. I was standing on my patio. I'm, in a horse head mask. And I wasn't, but I wish I was. This adorable little nerd comes by and she stops and she's looking at me and she's just staring. And I'm like, it, is there a ghost? Is she, am I dead? Does she see dead people? Like what's happening? No words, no nothing. And just stared at me. And it happened uncomfortably long. She had a little, uh, foxtail. And I, I thought, you know, what's, what's happening here? And she goes, Slytherin. And I was like, did you just sort me? I said that to her. Did you just sort me? She goes, no, I see your scarf. <laughs> and I looked down and I'm, I'm like, I bought when I went to Harry Potter house or whatever, a Slytherin thing. And she caught it as she walked by. And I'm Damn. like, one of us. Like, one of yeah. us. Tell me more about Harry Potter house. Um, it was all right. I'm going to steal you to give <laughs> Bill the chance to give me another adjective. Yes. <laughs> Green. Green. It was awesome to go to. I am. I'm just looking around the table. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. All right, Brick. Just naming things in the room. Yeah. Uh, Noun. What? God. What? uh, Peony. I have no idea how that's going to come out. Uh, Adjective, Troy. Uh, Stressful. Stressful. (laughs) A stressful peony. Uh, I need a noun, Alex. Go. Bookcase. Bookcase. I need a part of the body, Bill. Arm. Arm. You were looking at my arm. Ooh, I get to say a part of the body. Oh, I'm going with phalanges. Ah. My um low key uh cousin to the arm. What my pen name? Phalanges. Yeah. Real close. Cousin to the arm. My my low key pen name, if I ever were to author a book, would be Gideon Phalanges. I came up with that years ago. Well, now your cover's blown. I know. My Everyone's going to find your Shit. fan fiction for um, <laughs> Knight Rider. Yeah, thank you. Not again. Uh, and the last one goes to you, Troy. I need a plural noun. A plural noun. I am going to say... Moccasins feels really good in my brain right now. Did you say moccasins? I did. I'm going to go with moccasins because it could either be the creature <laughs> or the really fancy um, leather um, shoe. Yes, the indigenous word, playa, I earned a badge. Sweet. Give me my story. All right, it's doing this weird thing. You did your first Mad Lib. All right, I'm going to read you guys our amazing story. Are you ready? Yes, always. (laughs) It's already dumb. (laughs) Farts of all ages. (laughs) Enjoy watching sweaty magicians perform their slimy tricks. (laughs) As you do. Every man, woman, and mogwai loves to see a magician pull a piece out of a hat, saw a live peas in half, or make a huge cup disappear into lumpy air. (laughs) Audiences love when magicians perform sleight of bicuspid with a deck of horses. <laughs> I like the idea that they're like, abracadabra, your tooth is gone. <laughs> a green coin or a silk peony. The greatest of all magicians was the stressful Harry Houdini. <laughs> <laughs> I actually Not now, wrong. <laughs> now we're that's my stage correct. name, actually. Yeah, that's my stage name. Who was able to escape from a locked bookcase even though his arm were tied behind his phalanges. His arm? His <laughs> We're wrapped in iron moccasins. <laughs> Good job, everybody. We've that is done our. It. We did it. That's yeah. our- <laughs> I I do feel 
adequately cleansed. I feel very libbed in a mad way. Uh, yes. Also, <laughs> I do want to say that we like to maybe imbibe a little during this, and the cocktail that I've made is repulsive. I am so glad because I watched you make it and I was so sad watching it happen. <laughs> Why you don't you a, help just, me? <laughs> I don't know how to save you from yourself. Because she's like, he's got to learn. <laughs> uh, he needs to, learning by doing. I'm old. <laughs> it is I, a very interesting color of Well, I added. <laughs> it looks like Gatorade. I'm not even going to lie. It didn't come out yellow? <laughs> it did, but when you water it down. No, I put some limoncello with some Mello vodka yellow. and some, yeah, and then, but it tastes sort of like a yellow. It, like look, a, it looks like a light green tea. It looks like you let that bag soak for a little bit and you're like, I don't really want this Imagine green tea. Imagine that I pass this through <laughs> my natural system of filtration. Uh, that's I what don't it tastes want like. You look very yeah. hydrated. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it would be a hydrated. That's, that's a hydrated tone. A hydrated color. Well, it burns going down. That's Good job. <laughs> well, I wanted to say thank you to Alex for filling in. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> thank you for Tay to st- for stopping by. Yeah. And this is the part where we tell you guys, get involved locally. Get involved Absol- locally. Absolutely. You know how you can get involved locally? You can actually find our podcast on Apple uh, Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify. You can also find us on, we're everywhere. Stitcher and tune in. Stitcher and tune in. And also uh, uh, Podserve FM. Thank you, Tyler. You are amazing. But give us five stars. Just do it. Just go and give us five stars. And leave us some reviews, yo. And no, if you, five stars. That's it. Don't uh, talk Don't talk right, to us. Jesus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, tell us, yeah, tell us what you want to hear and yeah. tell us, yeah. Follow us on Twitter at BetterLeftCast. Uh, you can email us, DM us through there now. We have our official Twitter. Go We're ahead and DM Facebook us. Too. We're also, we are on the Facebook. We have Slide arrived. Facebook for all of us who keep misspelling it. Um, <laughs> so find us on Facebook at uh, Better Left Network, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, look for Better Left Network. Um, and the other thing we probably want to hint towards is that there's going to be some new podcasts coming. Uh, it's a network. There's so because this is a network, we are launching a couple of other podcasts that are coming. Some oh, deeply God. involved about climate change. Troy just drank a bit of his terrible cocktail. The I'm climate. Not, I'm not going to stop. It's awful. <laughs> you came this far. Drink it up. Troy. <laughs> So we have another one of our podcasts that are joining our network, which I am very excited about. Yeah. The next podcast joining our network is going to be held uh, helmed by the great Jason Stevens. And also held on the open ocean. Thank God. In a ship. Yep. Helmed by Jason. Exactly. And And uh, uh, Michael Graham. Yep, and we have a couple of others coming in, and they're going to be. We're going to have a pop culture based podcast. We're going to have one that's talking about uh, a lot of, I, I think, social justice and. and yeah, what- we're going to sit down with some folks uh, from the trans community to talk about what's going on and have a discussion. Uh, we've got tons of, yeah, yeah. So it's all coming. Our Twitch stream is almost ready. So we are going to be getting all this done. We're going to game. We're going to game. Yeah. We're going to be cool. We're going to be cool as hell. Well, but, yeah, uh, yeah. So catch us next time on the next episode of. The Better Left Podcast, because sometimes it's better left to you. Bye. 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 Any questions? Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. All right. So we're just going to let this run, and then Jay's just going to clip it up, because none of us know what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) We're all a disaster. (laughs) Going far. Stop. Yeah, let's see if we can. Jay's gonna listen to this part where we're all like, how do we stop? When the day seems sure, nothing of significance <laughs> to the poor. You haven't enjoyed that stuff you bought, you just need a rest. 
get it off your chest. I haven't seen a girl cause the crazy shift work is all berserk and the bed is empty. When I wake up to a hot breath, unpop the bra and then she got it off her chest. Now it all seems best when the head's in some breast, dressed in less, gives me more interest.